Hello, and thanks for joining us for the Education Doctor Radio Show. I'm your host, Dr. Pamela Ellis. The Education Doctor Radio Show is your family source for educational excellence. Our program is brought to you by Compass Education Strategies, where I'm the principal consultant, and our mantra is Access, Thrive, Graduate. You can learn more about our firm at CompassEducationStrategies.com. Thank you so very much to everyone who is listening to the podcast of this program. We appreciate you taking interest in the information that we bring to families around the globe. For future show updates and ongoing relevant education news, please join our Facebook community by searching for The Education Doctor, then clicking like. You can find us on Twitter at The Education Doc, and we're also on Foursquare, where you can see our tips to prep schools, colleges, and graduate schools around the country. The topics that are featured in these podcasts are primarily based on questions that I get from families. Every day I speak with families of college-bound students and graduate school students. They have questions and concerns about all things related to education. Through their questions, I learned so much about what's on their hearts and how I might be able to help them answer their question. An interesting question that I received recently was related to Jewish life on college campuses. And this question led me on a search about not only Jewish life on a specific college campus, but also the quality of Jewish life in that local community. For many college campuses, they are not necessarily an island unto themselves, but they are deeply embedded in the surrounding community. For example, you take a campus like USC, University of Southern California, not South Carolina, but Southern California. They have a big enough imp- uh, footprint that perhaps they could operate as their own community. Instead, USC has taken a number of steps to introduce its student community to all that the greater Los Angeles area has to offer. Whether it's through community service or the arts, USC and Los Angeles are intertwined in the success of student life. Now, back to how this ties in with Jewish life on campus. For evaluating Jewish life on campus, I think it's important to also consider Jewish life in the surrounding community. And this is where my guest comes in. So if we were doing this podcast in person, he would actually start walking into the studio right now. (laughs) So joining our show today is David Siegelman. And it's pronounced Siegelman, but it's it's spelled C-Y-G-I-E-L-M-A-N. David is the co-founder and CEO of Morsha House. Prior to this role, David had more than 10 years of experience in nonprofit management, and he won numerous awards. In a short number of years, he's developed quite an impressive resume, which you can see at their site, which is morshahouse.org. And he's a proud graduate of University of California at Santa Barbara. We are delighted to have David on the show. He's going to share with us what Morsha House is about, its start, its future growth, and what it means to Jewish life on and off campus. Before we start, I want to make sure that our listeners have our contact information. Our email address is radio at compass, 
www.educationstrategies.com, and that's Compass spell C-O-M-P-A-S-S. I actually had someone ask me about that recently, the spelling of it, because I have a southern accent, and they may have thought I was saying campus. <laughs> but anyway, if you'd like to submit a question at any time, you can use that email address. Often our listeners will have questions as they're listening or even afterwards. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. So you can email us at any time at radio at Compass Education Strategies. We would love to hear from you. After our quick break, we will return with David Siegelman, who's the co-founder and CEO of Morsha House. This is the Education Doctor Radio Show brought to you by Compass Education Strategies. I am back now to talk with David Siegelman, co-founder and CEO of Morsha House, which is based in my former hometown of Oakland, California. David, are you there on the line? I am. Okay, great. Thank you so much for joining us on the Education Doctor Radio Show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, you're welcome. And is it beautiful in Oakland right now? Tell me it's not. <laughs> well, we're having a beautiful day, but even better than that, tomorrow I go to visit Moisha House San Diego. So oh, weather, weather is goodness. not a problem out here. <laughs> Don't even tell me about it. But I'll be there in three weeks. I'm counting down, so I won't miss it too much longer. <laughs> so thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. So, David, we may have some listeners who are unfamiliar with Morsha House. So if you can just kind of start out by telling us what it is and how you first came up with the idea to start it. Sure. Well, Morsha House is the largest organization now in the world uh, for young adult Jewish life, post, post-college, pre-settling down. So we really work in the age range of 21 to 30 years old. Um, mm-hmm. And the way the, the way the program works is that uh, there are actually 46 Moisha houses around the world. We're in 14 countries now. And the model is that uh, we found young adults were already yearning to have community, Jewish community. They already were living together in houses in addition to having their full-time jobs and um, or graduate school, they were lacking Jewish community, Jewish involvement. Mm-hmm. They have been involved mm-hmm. up through college and consider themselves to be getting reinvolved once they settled down. But for this growing time span of uh, 20s and early 30s, there was there was a real lack of Jewish life dedicated to this to this population. Hmm. So. The way we started the organization, I was in Santa Barbara and had graduated college at UC Santa Barbara. And and when I was back up in the Bay Area actually visiting my family, I I went to dinner with uh, four friends at their house. And they were four Mm -hmm. friends I had met on an Israel trip when we were in high school through the uh, Jewish Federation here in the East Bay. And they were Mm -hmm. four guys and they were roommates. Three of them were working. One was in graduate school. And when we were talking, they... They and I, because we had no real engagement in, in Jewish life, even though we had up until this point in our life. So um, it seemed pretty easy in the sense that they already had a house. They had couches. They had a dining room. They had a lot of Jewish friends. What they really needed was the structure or support to turn that into a real Jewish community. So uh, I <laughs> talked with Funder in Santa Barbara, who I who I already knew, Morris Squire, and um 
and gave them the opportunity to turn their house into a real vibrant center for Jewish life. And they they hosted a Shabbat dinner the following Friday night. Seventy three people came, which was really, really wow. eye opening. Yeah, that's how we felt. And and then the next week, this was in Oakland. The next week, we got an email from someone saying, "I went to this Shabbat. It was an amazing experience. I have three friends. Could we do this in San Francisco?" And that's how, hmm. that's how the program began. And since then, we've been getting emails from all over the United States and in the world. We have Moish houses on five continents. I actually just got back this week from visiting for the first time the Moisha House in Beijing, um, having the former Soviet Union, Europe, South Africa, South America. So it's really grown wow. as, as there's been this, this renaissance of Jewish life for this growing uh, population of, of young adults who are too old for what exists or too young for what exists. And now we're, we're providing something that's really built for, for their age group. Wow, that is awesome. What an amazing story in terms of just how it came about. And I think that speaks to um, just how salient it was in terms of people's interest and desire to have something like this, that it happened so quickly. I mean, just the following week. Uh, someone is saying, "How can we do this here?" So that's that's awesome, David. I don't I don't know if your um, website communicates, you know, how exciting that start is in the same way. You know, I mean, you have a great website, but I didn't get that it kind of excitement in hearing it, you know, from you. Well, um, so tell me about the uh, residents that are in the Morsha houses. Like, how do they build community? You know, for people who visit or the attendees for the events? Sure. Well, the residents are uh, a span of, of anywhere from 21 to, to 30, 31 years old. The average age is 26, and it's a pretty good makeup of, of men and women and all sorts of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also a, a real diverse uh, group of whether it's graduate students or professionals working in nonprofit. And the role that they take on, there's three to five folks who live in each house. And one of the things that we discovered was that most people in their 20s don't live in a, in a, in a place that's conducive to having 30 people over for a program or right. event. So, <laughs> so this really allows them to have that kind of space. And um, they're putting on, on average, six programs a month. And those programs are not, not just for the folks living in the house. They are bringing in and inviting the larger community. So we have a lot of graduate students coming to Moisha House from uh, mm-hmm. a huge number of universities, including in the intro you spoke about USC. Uh, we have USC mm-hmm. grad students who are uh, involved in Moisha House, and um, also your alma mater at, at Stanford, the Palo Alto Moisha House, has a huge number of, of those folks. So we're able to work with organizations that are based on campus, like a Hillel or a bot on campus, but we're really focused on that graduate student level where there's been a real dearth um, of activity for many years. Right, right. So here is um, a big question for you. So I'm based in Ohio now, and I know there's a significant Jewish population in the Cleveland area, like in my old neighborhood of Shaker Heights. There are also several major colleges and universities in the area, and you probably know where this is going, right? There is no Moisha House in Cleveland. So how do you know where to open a new house? Well, a house opens in one of two ways. Either we get a set of applicants, we get a group who says, 
look, we live in Cleveland or we live in Columbus and we'd like to uh we'd like to open a Moisha house here. And then in that case we then start working with the local community to see if it's if we're able to raise partner dollars in uh supporting mm-hmm. that, that Moisha house. It's a it's a really cost effective program, so an entire Moisha house costs less than a than a staff person would. Um but the other way that a house opens is that a community reaches out and says it would be really interesting and and we would love to support having a moisture house in our community so then we go out and we we look to see if there's great applicants columbus ohio is a great example we're working with the federation right now um Mm -hmm. who has said we would love to we would love to explore opening a moisture house so we're actually um looking to see if the population exists to actually open one now when you say that the population exists are you looking for a certain number, certain percentage in the area? What, well, we have what different sized houses. Yeah, we have different sized houses. So um, a mid-sized city like Columbus, um, well, we'd, we'd be looking for three or four residents to live in the house. And because of the presence of a school like Ohio State, um, there are there are plenty of, of young adults uh, in graduate school really? or those who, <laughs> who, who end up staying afterwards finding jobs there or, or even grew up there. So so we feel like a place like Columbus would would have would have the population and certainly a, uni- a major university plays into that um because it's such a draw for for young people. Mhm. David, I want you to hold on for a moment because I want to take just a quick break, okay? Sure. Okay. So I will take a quick break here, and after the break, we will continue speaking further with David Siegelman, who is the co-founder and CEO of Morsha House. Just a moment. This is the Education Doctor Radio Show brought to you by Compass Education Strategies, and I am back now with our guest, David Siegelman, co-founder and CEO of Morsha House, which is based in Oakland, California. So, David, I just wanted to continue our conversation from before the break. Um, Before the break, you were talking about Morsha House, um, its history, its um, houses, where you're located, um, and how you get started in new cities. I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit more about some of the events um, that the residents are hosting at the house in terms of how they're getting um, visitors engaged and really thriving in terms of Jewish life in that area. Yeah, absolutely. So there are four types of programs that every Moisha house is putting on. Those those program types are social programs. It could be anything from movie night to game night, um, seeing ball game, uh, Jewish culture and holiday, which has become growingly popular as we've uh, been able to support that um, particular type of programming, which includes Shabbat dinner, Passovers coming up, ho- hosting a Seder. A lot of the people coming to Moisha House are in cities, are now living in their in cities in their 20s that they didn't grow up in. So they're mm. looking for places to go for those kind of traditional uh, ritual uh-huh. times. And Jewish learning is another type, is a third type of programming. Uh, we'll bring in some of the residents are have studied it at Pardes or different um different places and are and are teaching but then also we bring in educators and the fourth is repair the world we have a great partnership with an organization called repair the world based out of new york and through that they're doing all sorts of service work in the community so mm-hmm. our 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 thought process is that there's a huge 
there's a huge variety of, of folks living in every city, and if we're able to provide different types of programming at a consistent level, so on average there's six different programs happening a month in every house, um, there, there's going to be ideally something for everyone. And and mm-hmm. that the pressure that the pressure goes away to feel like well there's only one thing happening every two months so I better I better get it get to it or if that one thing is not something that I'm interested in then then I'm stuck. We really try to do consistent programming and we try to offer a variety of programs. Mm-hmm. David, tell me a little bit about your experience at UC Santa Barbara in terms of Jewish life there. I've heard a lot about the Hillel Center is supposed to be the gold standard as far as Hillel Centers is concerned. But if you could tell us a little bit about your experience there. Sure. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing four years. I, I, I was fortunate that when I was beginning school there, a new Hillel Center was being built. It was being moved from renting an office in the University Religious Center to uh, a huge, beautiful building located in Isla Vista, in the heart of of UC Santa Barbara. So I got to kind of ride the wave of that momentum, not just from the student body, but also the community. So uh, mm-hmm. I got involved. I I was a member of um, AEPI, the Jewish fraternity on campus, and also uh, got deeply engaged in in the work at Hillel. Uh, the director there, Rabbi Steve Cohen, uh, was a amazing leader and actually back just this past november i got married and he did the wedding so those relationships really oh wow last for last a lifetime and um so so it, it it was great there were a lot of opportunities the other thing that existed that was really uh really great for a lot of students was that at the local synagogue they hired a lot of students to to teach and you didn't have to have a huge wealth of knowledge. You had to be enthusiastic, have a little bit of knowledge, or at least be able to read a chapter ahead of the of the students. And uh, and it was a great job opportunity uh, while in school. So I I had a really rich um, campus experience in the Jewish community, and Santa Barbara was a mm-hmm. was a perfect place to be able to do that. Yeah. Now, if you can recall back to your thinking before you went to UC Santa Barbara, was the uh, presence of a Hillel Center or office at that time, or just, you know, the thought that it was going to be a place where you could still um, be involved in Jewish life, was that important to you in terms of choosing UC Santa Barbara at all, or even the other colleges that you considered at that time? Yeah, it was certainly a factor for me. I I, I went to Catholic high school. Um, I I grew up uh, with you know a Jewish upbringing, um, but I went on a but that trip to Israel that where I met those first Moshe House residents was was really a formative experience for me. Where I I found that having a Jewish community was something that was important to me. So when I was mm-hmm. visiting schools, uh, the great part is that uh, most most universities do have have Jewish life on campus. Um, in particular, in Santa Barbara, they were building this new this new building, and uh, you know the the campus is just amazing overall with the location mm-hmm. in Santa Barbara and on the beach. And so it was a it was a lot of factors that went into it. But it, once I got there and I saw everything going on, it was a it was a clear choice for me. It was certainly my first choice. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine <laughs> once you do the campus visit, you're sold <laughs> on Santa Barbara for sure. <laughs> um, one of the things is that um, you had mentioned about you know, wanting to have that Jewish life on a campus. And I was just thinking, you know, when I first learned about Morsha House that, you know, perhaps there are even students that may not uh, necessarily seek, you know, uh, involvement in Jewish life when they're on campus, but maybe it's more important for them afterwards, and that's what makes Morsha House so important, and I think it speaks to what you said earlier in terms of the diversity of people that attend events, because some people may have experienced Jewish life in their college days. Others may not have been as involved, but Morsha House still provides that outlet for them and space where they can be involved even after college. Absolutely. Um mainly because this is a peer driven program so the pro so all the activities are being planned by peers other other people in their 20s so it's a real natural fit and we've also found it's a lot easier to invite some over, someone over to your home than it is to suggest that they go to some third party venue third, third party place um we did a yeah. big evaluation conducted by the by a firm in New York and they found that a third of the participants coming to Moisha house this is this is really their first involvement uh, in a serious way in, in Jewish life. So there are many hmm. people who were not involved in campus life or in Jewish life in a, in a real serious way prior to to their 20s, but it's their first time really living on their, truly on their own, having to figure out what kind of jobs they want, who their what their relationships look like, where they're going to live. So it's they, they're finding that this is a, this is a terrific time to start Having a community that that can help and support you in being successful in all those all those pieces of life. Hmm. Okay. Now, for those who are uh, having their first involvement with Jewish life with Morsha House, where um, how are they usually finding out about you? And mainly by word of mouth. You have? Really? Yeah, mainly by word of mouth. We we have a philosophy that if you go and you put up posters around town. One person will come, but twenty people will run the other direction. So, uh, <laughs> we the, the houses use a lot of Facebook, uh, but the the truth is that ninety percent of the people who come to Moish House say that they've recommended it or suggested that to their friends that they come as well. So, the idea is that they're able they're able to have a good experience and then share it with other people. So, uh, we track closely how many new participants are coming every month and. And in, in a year, between all the moist houses, we have about 11,000 people coming for the first time. So it's uh, wow. it's, it's worked really well in terms of uh, word of mouth, especially in this digital age where word of mouth can spread so much more quickly since uh, you don't actually have to talk to someone for something to spread word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Now, what do you suggest to young people who maybe in an area that do, that don't have that doesn't have a Morsha house um in terms of involvement in Jewish life well one thing is to be in touch with us we're developing a program called without walls um so mm-hmm. that we can actually give people the opportunity to do Morsha house style programming 
in communities that don't actually have a moisture house yet. So mm-hmm. we're we're in the midst of developing that and planning to launch that in June. And okay. And you know beyond that, um, <clears throat> it's a, it's a question of of looking to see what exists. I would ask I would ask if there's a campus to to ask them what's happening afterwards. Also, the Jewish Federation is a terrific place to 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 find out more. Um, unfortunately, this uh, pop this programming for this age group, this population has only really been in action for the last few years. So it's a growing it's a growing field and something that I think will get more attention as as time goes on. If they're under 26 and haven't been to Israel, I would also recommend signing up and applying to go on a birthright trip to Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. Now, what's in the future of Marsha House in the next two to three years? One was you mentioned about without walls. What are some of the other things that are on your plate? It's a great question. We're working with a one of our closest partners, the Jim Joseph Foundation, right now, to develop a three to five year growth plan. Uh, another <laughs> another area of of growth will be training. We're finding more and more young adults are excited about things like Shabbat and hosting seder's and havdalah and these different Jewish rituals, but they didn't grow up with them. So we're leading more and more weekend long trainings on how to bring these kind of Jewish practices into your home. We did four. We piloted four this year with, um, and our goal was 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 high. Was to 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 train 120 people over over three day periods, and we actually had 126 people with waiting lists. So we're expanding that from four trainings to six, six to eight in 2012. So we're um, that's another big area of of growth for us and. Uh, more houses. There's a lot of communities that still don't have a moisture house where we think we could make a really big impact. Mm-hmm. Yes, you in- mentioned Columbus, which I think is excellent. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Okay. Well, final words for college-bound families who are wondering about Jewish life on a new campus, a new community. What would you share with them? Well, I, I, there's no substitution for seeing it in it in person, and mm-hmm. uh, there's there's plenty of folks who would be happy to show you around and take you around, get the perspective of the staff if there's a Hillel or Chabad on campus, but also to ha- have them link you up with a student that can take you around and give you some of their perspective. David? Yes. Were you finished? Okay. Yes. Okay, great. Well, thank you so very much. So this wraps up our show today with David Siegelman, who's co-founder and CEO of Morsha House. David, I want to thank you so much for joining. And also, I have to tell you, congratulations on your recent marriage. Thank you very much. (laughs) You're welcome. That is awesome. So thank you so very much for joining us. We have some great shows coming up for you on the Education Doctor radio show, and we'll continue to bring you information that's both strategic and practical for educational success. Please listen to our announcement on how you can stay connected with us. 